0: You are about to listen to a message from David Bendett, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, his word, and his presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the word and get fired up about what God's doing today. This morning, I am going to uh, somewhat re-preach a message that I preached before And I actually had another series that I was going to start today, but the Lord really spoke to me and said that he wanted me to do this other word. And I kept wanting to go to the one word that i had been working on for the last three weeks. And he said, no, I want you to go back to this because there's a lot of people here that have forgotten who I am and how much I love them and how much I care about them. And there's a lot of people that are going through some really difficult times right now, and they feel that that I don't care or they're far from me. And they're going to be here today. So I said, all right, Lord. I rarely ever preach the same, same message exactly twice. But it's funny because I went back through my notes to, to just see what I had spoken on this word before. And I couldn't find the message. It wasn't anywhere in my computer. And it wasn't on my iPad in my Pages app. And so I really knew. And as I started studying this word again, I started getting new understanding and new revelation about this topic that I didn't have before. And so the title of my message this morning for Sunday, May 29, 2016, is God's EOB is Psalm 103. God's EOB is Psalm 103, okay? Now, if you've ever had medical insurance, if you have medical insurance now, or uh, if you're a young adult and you're riding on the insurance of your parents, I can assure you your parents get what's called an EOB. Every time you go to the doctor, every time you would go to the hospital or a clinic, you get what's called an EOB from your insurance provider. An EOB is an explanation of benefits. And an explanation of benefits tells you what they covered and what they didn't cover, what procedures were part of your plan that's covered and what's not covered. And then it shows you how much they paid, that's a part of the bill, and what your patient responsibility is. Everybody say patient responsibility. Okay. Now, everybody has patient responsibility in the kingdom of God. Everybody does. And in the natural, your insurance may cover everything. And in some ways, that's like what Christ did when he died on the cross. He paid the full price. He paid your debt completely. But we still have some responsibility. But more importantly, it's important that we know what God's benefits are to being born again and to knowing him. Because, unfortunately, religion has taught so many misguided deceptive things about God and in turn, people that didn't grow up in church like me, people that was was partying in the streets and clubs and drugs and alcohol and Grateful Dead concerts, the, the people that I saw that were religious were so dysfunctional and I said to myself, I never want to be like them. I'd be hanging out at Grateful Dead concerts and Tide Eyes eating grilled cheese sandwiches and playing djembes and African drums. And here would come the old fogies from the church down the road with a big sign that said, Turn or burn, repent or perish, and yelling and screaming at everybody and fighting about religion in the streets. And hence, I was always told, Never talk about religion. Because we're never going to agree. But that's not true. Because there are biblical truths that we should all agree upon. The problem is, is most people are not being taught or told who God really is. And most people, unfortunately, don't read their Bible. So they ride on what they've seen from TV preachers. They ride on what they've heard from people preaching in the street. Or maybe you've had a dysfunctional parent. That All they were taught was strict religiosity and isolated and controlled you and no movies and no secular music and no TV and shielded you from the world and as soon as you could break free you were out partying like the devil there's a lot of people like that that were suppressed by religion or a lot of people like me that never had it and what I saw I didn't want so one of the missions that we should be on is to reveal who he really is and to live differently because if you call yourself a Christian then you need to act like one because I got people walking into this church that don't know the Lord that I've influenced out in the, in the marketplace that walk in and say, I want to come and check your church out. And when they come in, they meet you. There's some people, you'll be the only Jesus that they meet at first and the only Bible they'll read in the beginning. And I don't want to see a bunch of religious goofballs anymore. I want to see people that are authentic and genuine, that know how to love and that are real and know how to forgive and walk in kindness and walk in mercy, that don't water down the gospel that still calls sin what sin is because sin is missing the mark. It's not what God's best is. You know, when I was in Bastrop, I, I should have known before I went to the coffee shop it was going to be bad coffee. I experienced it all the time. Unless you're like in Portland or you're in Austin or you're in Seattle, you know, I mean, it's so hard to find a good coffee shop, and I knew in advance the coffee shop was going to be substandard, and I was sorely disappointed With my Americano, that was watered down, and I had this epiphany, most coffee shops in America are like churches in America, a watered-down gospel just designed to make a buck. I love that. I almost put it on Facebook, but I thought, you know, if I'm going to get in trouble, I better get in trouble first by you (laughs) before everybody else. But it's true. And he wants you to know who he really is without compromise. And when people come in here, you should have an experience always. That's why our worship's the way it is. We worship long. We follow. We'll sing one song for ten minutes because we're catching the river and we're going where the Lord wants. Instead of having this rote religious routine, we follow Him. So that you can experience Him, in worship, in my teaching. But more than anything, it's his presence that transforms you. And when you know you're loved and when you experience his word for who he really is, you start to think different and then you act different. Because if I can get you to have understanding, you'll think differently and you'll start living your life differently instead of me beating you over the head with religion and a Bible. So many people think you're going to beat him over the head with the Bible. No, if I'm going to beat you over the head with anything, it's going to be with love and kindness and tenderness so that you can't deny that I didn't treat you right or that God doesn't love you. Thank you. So God's EOB, his explanation of benefits is Psalm 103. Now listen to this. The enemy of our soul works on overtime to keep God's people oblivious or to forget or to mislay who he is and what he does. The enemy wants you to be oblivious to God. There's no, that's why some people don't believe there's a God. But for me, I had this innate understanding when I looked at all creation and I looked at the stars and, you know, I grew up scuba diving in the Bahamas and the Florida Keys and I was fascinated by tropical fish and, you know, I loved the rainforest and all these things that, that I saw in creation. I thought there's no way this happened by accident. I had this innate knowing and understanding that someone had to have designed the beauty of what I'm saying. It could not have happened by chance. But there's so much more that God is revealing to us. But the enemy, the devil, there is a devil and he wants to keep you blinded or oblivious to who God really is or he wants you to forget what he's done for you. By being oblivious, you become blinded and you become forgetful. Not only to the things that he's done and continues to do, but more importantly, who God is. The enemy wants to misconstrue who God is and he's worked hard to do that through religion. Religion is really misrepresented. I would say religion is the number one thing that has mis- I'm talking about man-made religion that has really misrepresented who God is. So he's raising up a new breed of people, tag, you're it. He's raising up new sons and daughters that are going to be radical and on fire and love really well and not be goofball religious, but really, really genuinely represent who he is. Amen. It's vitally important that you have a good understanding, a clear understanding of these things in order to live a life fully awakened to love him. See, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. And whether you were raised with drugs and alcohol and sex and debauchery like I was or you weren't, everyone needs forgiveness equally. And everybody is forgiven equally. And so when you recognize the fact that God forgives you and wipes your slate clean of all your failures of your past and that he makes you into a new creation, suddenly you love he who's been forgiven much loves much. I've had employees steal from me. I've had employees do things that they should have never done, that they should have been fired, but there's grace and there's kindness. And me by me loving them and giving them another chance, something happened to them because somebody took a chance on me. And ultimately, God took a chance on you. God is the biggest risk taker. There's a lot of people that I take risks on, not just in work, but in the kingdom that I'm like, your risk, this is risky. And the Lord says, I took a risk on you. He gave his life when no one deserved it. In fact, when everybody, when most people had turned their back on him, that's when he died because of love. He gave his life for you. And so You've got to have this understanding because it awakens you. If you want to be on fire, you've got to get understanding of how much the Lord loves you and how much he's forgiven you and take hold of his forgiveness. Then it awakens you, and in turn, it produces confidence in yourself. Now, there's two downsides to self. One downside is pride, arrogance, haughtiness, cockiness. And then all the way on the other extreme is false humility. I'm just a low-life nobody, and God just saved a miserable wretch like me. I'm a sinner that deserved death, and I'm never going to be anymore. And I don't know why he called me to be a pastor, and I sure hope God uses me. I don't even know why God uses me, but if you need prayer, come on, ho-hum, I'll pray for you. That's not a son and a daughter. Daniel made it clear that those that know their God will do great exploits. The Bible says that the righteous are bold as a lion, I'm coming after you confidently because I know that it's not not arrogance and haughtiness, but there's also not a false humility. He's called you to be a son and a daughter, and he puts his authority into your life so that you can set the captives free, and he doesn't want some weak, sissy-minded Christian doing it. He wants you to grow into confidence and boldness of who he is so you can set the captives free and represent him in confidence. People want to know that you know. And I don't know everything, but I know that he loves me, and I'm going to tell you, that's enough for me. And he forgave me, and he cares, and he set my feet on a rock, and he pulled me out of the darkest pit, and he can do it for you. Let me show you how. Come here, let me pray for you. I just believe right now in Jesus' name confidently that you're going to be healed, because I walk by faith. And faith is an I know so, not an I hope so. Faith is as confident to me as the air I breathe and the ground I stand on. Can you imagine, say, well, faith is just a maybe. I don't know, but maybe he will. We just got to have faith. It's like, no, I'm going to believe that God's going to heal this asthma. And I believe that God's going to heal your sickness and disease. Even if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to give up because I know he can do it. He rescued my life when I deserved death. He rescued my life when I was in my darkest hour. And I'm going to keep believing in his healing because he's healed me of so many other things. Mental dysfunction, addiction, selfishness, abuse of other people. So I'm still going to believe that he's going to heal me of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Critical thoughts to require biblical understanding is that you've got to forgive yourself. Some of you are living under such heavy pressure and you never feel like you meet your expectations that you set for yourself or God's expectations. And you go to bed night after night feeling dissatisfied. You beat yourself up and you become your own worst critic and your own worst enemy. And that is not who God is or what God says. I'm going to show it to you today. Because if you don't get a clear picture of how God sees you, you're going to live the rest of your life miserable. And you'll go through religious doldrums of Christianity that's going to stink and be no fun. You're not going to have any passion, excitement, and you're going to pass that on to your kids. I want my kids to be fascinated. I loved what, you know, I'll tell you, we have the kids in here for the first 30 minutes of worship so that the kids can watch and learn from us. So if you're being distracted by the kids, you got a problem. And they're running around and they're being noisy and they're stage diving off the stairs. And I'm up here, I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm so caught up with the Lord, and every now and then I see a kid go. (laughs) And you know what? I'm rejoicing because it's reminding me, it's bringing me back to a place of childlikeness instead of stiff, mature, religious, adult Christianity. Ugh. It's sickening to me. Let's lose it. Let's become, be converted, change back to being like a child. So I'm watching the kids. I love the kids, and I want them to learn. And I received some of the greatest joy last week and this week because something's happened. My kids have kind of figured out they're not supposed to run up on the stage every time, even though they did today. And I loved it. I watched my wife grabs my daughter by the hem of her shirt, and Zion looks, makes a run for it. And my son gets to me up on the drums. And I just, I'm like, that was so the Lord. I scoop him up, and then my daughter's determined she's going to go. I put an instrument in their hand, and let's worship. Who cares? Now, I can't have all the kids running around up there, but and we're teaching them that they can't keep running up there. But we're having fun, and I'm teaching them worship and extravagance and fascination because when they get up behind those drums, daddy's hitting little bells and trinkets and all these things they play with at home. But now I'm worshiping with them. And so something started to happen. They've come over to the edge of the stage and, you know, they're tiny. My daughter's three my son's 20 months and there's other kids. And I see Betty sitting here on the stage and they're, they're playing and they're doing stuff. But every now and then, they stop and stare. And I've started to see them stare at me more than ever before. And I realize people are watching. I'm an example. Now, I'm not doing what I do to be a show for you, but I also know That my life is designed to burn bright. And when your life burns bright, it causes other people to burn. Set yourself on fire so that the whole world can see you burn. D.L. Moody said that. So we're examples. And so critical thoughts are, uh, for the right understanding, is that many of you feel like you're constantly living in failed expectations of yourself. we got to break that. You're not designed to listen, to live a life in this way of feeling like you're never good enough and, or that God's never happy with you. And many of you here today are living like that. You just don't feel like you ever measure up. And I don't know where you got that from. Either religion taught it to you or a performance mentality from the way you were raised by your parents. Because our culture teaches children to perform, be successful, measure up, rewards-based system. Now, God does reward us, but everything we were taught is be good enough, be better, do good, do right. And that's not the way the Lord is. Instead, with the Lord, you become spiritual in the sense full of his spirit, born again, eyes on him, and now he, in turn, teaches you how to do right and to do good. Some of you feel like you never measure up or you're not going to be accepted. You don't feel like I accept you and feel like you, you failed, and it's like, if I only knew what you did, I can tell you pretty much, I have a pretty good idea of what happens in a church of hundreds and hundreds of people. And I know what it's like to be a young adult that screwed around even after I knew Jesus and made dumb mistakes over and over and over again. And because I made so many dumb mistakes, I can have compassion on you all And young adults that make dumb mistakes. But I can also call you out of those dumb mistakes and say stop. Because God has an expectation and a covenant and a promise. And in order to experience the life that you want, you've got to be honorable to the covenant. And to do what's right and to fear him. And I'm going to show that to you. But you're still accepted. I still love you. I still care about you. You can still come here. It's the mercy of the Lord that's going to change you. Religion just pushed most of you away in the past. It's a new day now. I said to the Lord before I came up, I said, Lord, I trust you. He says, I trust you. That's how fast it went. You can have grace and mercy for others because he's had it for you. Yeah. Some of you are in dark times, in crisis situations. Some of you are doubting, you're uncertain, you're confused, and you, you feel like you don't have faith. In fact, I know several people in my life that at various times have said, I just don't have any faith. As a pastor, I hear, I just don't feel like I have faith right now. You're at the right place. It's for these reasons and many more that we have to have the right understanding so that we can fight the good fight of faith. Fighting the fight of faith is supposed to be good, not bad. Some of you are fighting this Christian faith, and it stinks. It's miserable. And whenever I find myself getting miserable or stressed, I realize this isn't God's best for me. It's supposed to be a good fight. And I catch myself. I have times. We have times. It's difficult. We're in the trenches too. Life can be hard. Curveballs come our way. The enemy works on overtime to destroy you. But you get a resilience inside of you, of confidence and faith. You don't need another self-help book. You need Jesus, and you need the Bible, yeah. and you need truths. You don't need five more principles. You need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, to bless the Lord, what does that mean? I'm going to bless the Lord. The word bless simply means To kneel, salute, bow down, praise, and be thankful because you recognize and realize everything has come from him. So, Lord, everything I have has come from you. I salute you because you have been so good. Saluting is honor. The first word in the Hebrew for bless means to salute. But then it means to be grateful, to be thankful, and to praise him because you recognize he's been so good to you. And if you don't recognize it, let me remind you. No matter what your situation is, you have something to be thankful for you. One, you're breathing. Some of you have the most beautiful children that you got yourself into, a bad situation, and out of it came a child, but now that child is full of life. And when you were once in darkness, now you're rejoicing because the Lord is so good, and look what he created even when you screwed up. You have so much to be thankful for. I could call out so many things. I just called out a couple Because I know some of you, it's easy to forget. And when you start to realize, man, see, the devil wants your eyes on the problem, but you need to get your eyes on the solution. The solution is Jesus. The problem is all this other stuff that you're trying to figure out without him. And when you get him, you get the answer, or you at least get the strength to walk through it. So bless the Lord. Who's David talking to? Himself. So David's saying to himself, bless the Lord. He's speaking and I do this a lot of times and say, come on, soul, bless the Lord. Salute him. Be grateful. Be thankful. See, the Bible says to be thankful in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you. You're not being thankful for. I don't thank God for premature death. I don't thank God for horrible situations that happen. But no matter what happens, I can have an attitude of gratitude <clears throat> towards him because I know he can work things out on my behalf because I love him. I know what the Bible says. And so he wants you to have an attitude of gratitude and to bless the Lord. And it says, with all that's within me, you see, true gratitude comes from the depths of inside of you. You can't fake it till you make it. You can't make yourself cry. You can't make yourself be broken. But when his kindness comes, you begin to weep in his love and his mercy for you. When you didn't deserve it, suddenly you begin from deep in the bowels within you. See, when I cry out to God, I'm crying from deep within inside of me. And another thing that's inside my being is my heart. And what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. From the treasures of your heart, the mouth speaks. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And my treasure is in the Lord. I love my wife. I love my kids. They're treasures. But my first treasure is in Christ. And so he says, bless the Lord with all that is within us. It's every fiber of your being. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's number one. And until you get number one, you can't do the other nine commandments. If you don't get number one, the first four are all to God. If you don't get those, you can't do the other six. Otherwise, it's religiosity. You're trying to conform to a formula instead of God's pattern. And it all starts with intimacy and love. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, he says it again, and forget not all his benefits. Now, I love, really like this word forget, okay, because this word forget in the Hebrew is actually means to be oblivious or to mislay. Everybody say mislay. It's a word that I don't think I've ever used, but the word mislay means to unintentionally put something somewhere that you don't remember, hence you temporarily forgot. Classic example, your car keys. You ever set down your car keys? You don't know where they are. It's not like you purposely lost them. Like right now, I can't find my lion ring. I know it's at my house because I put it in some pants. Somewhere, kids probably put it somewhere. I'm kind of bummed about it. So I really like my lion ring. It's special to me. It's like a signet ring to me. I know it's there. I have forgot, I've mislaid it. I've temporarily. Now then you can take it further to not even remember then you become oblivious. It's not like you purposely did it, but it can happen. And so it's a repetitive pattern where you forget. That's why I'm always brought back to Psalm 103. I read it in the mornings a lot. I love for it to be my morning psalm. It's my psalm that I read in a lot of dark times and uncertainties of, God, where are you? Because it brings me into remembrance of who God is. So don't forget what? His benefits. Don't mislay the promises of God. Don't set them down. Don't act like you don't care. Take a focus. Look and see and listen. And here they are. Here are some of his benefits. Number one, verse three, number one is he forgives. That's awesome. Because I've hurt so many people. I did so many terrible things. I slept around, you know, my life growing up, and I hurt girls, and I, I sold drugs to teenagers, and I did things I wish I never would have done. But then God in his kindness comes around and forgives me. He forgives all your iniquities. Now, iniquities is its a biblical word, but it's not really a word that's in my vocabulary. It's like, hey, man, I know you have iniquity in your life. <laughs> It'd be so strange. It's like, It's a Bible term, but let me teach you what iniquity means. Iniquity simply means to be at fault, to have a perverse way, or to become crooked. That's where we get the word crook. And what happens is crooked means I'm bent sideways. Now, think of an archer. When I try to shoot sideways... It's very hard to shoot. God wants me in perfect posture. See, sin really means to miss the mark. But when you're missing the mark, you become crooked or bent over, and in turn, you're not upright. And that's what it means. It means to also bow down, but this is a different bow down. This is not a bow down in worship. This is a bow down in, a, in an amiss way. Okay? And so that's what an iniquity is. And it says he forgives this. Guess what? You all were at fault. Everybody made a mistake. Everybody had sin and everybody makes mistakes. But the kindness of the Lord is as he constantly forgives. That gets me fired up. It doesn't mean that I should have the liberty to just keep sinning like the devil. It means I want to do right and I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. Cuz to fear the Lord means to have moral reverence. It means I revere him, hence I want to be morally upright. I want to now do the right thing. I don't want to keep living the way I lived anymore. I made enough mistakes. I did enough drugs. I destroyed enough lives. I destroyed my own life. I've done enough. And if I can teach 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds to do that now and teenagers now and my children now, that they don't have to make the mistakes I made. But if they do make mistakes, there's forgiveness because he constantly forgives. And the next thing is he heals all your disease. So he forgives you and he heals you. All means all. I don't know what to tell you. It's in the Bible. All means all. You say, well, I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't been healed yet. Well, guess what? I'm believing And just because I still have this cough and I have this phlegm and I have the asthma, doesn't mean that God's not going to heal me, and it doesn't mean He didn't provide a way. And that the Bible says His blood has healed by His stripes. I'm healed. It says that I can believe for it. I'm going after it because He's healed enough for for me to see and believe. So let's believe that He's going to do it again. And I prayed for enough people in the hospital that made it out, and I prayed for a lot of people in the hospital that didn't make it out. But I'm going to still keep praying. I'm going to still keep loving, and I'm going to still keep believing. And you do too. Verse 4, he redeems. The word redeems means that he purchases you. So he bought you. How? You've already been bought by the blood. You've already been forgiven. You just got to take hold of it. He did it on the cross. It's finished on the cross. And so he redeems your life from what? Destruction. Some of you know how to destroy yourself. Really, it's just destruction.com. Sleeping with who knows who, bad relationships. You want to be with the bad boy. You want to be with the bad girl. You want to be the party person, but you want Jesus to. And you get yourself in a destructive spot, but guess what? Price has been paid. All you got to do is come out of it. Price has already been paid. You, don't, you can't work your way out of it. You can't measure yourself up out of it. You just got to turn back to the Lord and let him redeem you. And that's the message that always draws me back to him, not performance religion. It's knowing that God loves me and that he's always there for me and he's always standing with open arms. See, we've always been taught that sin separates us from God and it does in the sense that it causes me to walk away, not him. He didn't walk away. He ran to you. He ran to the cross. He gave his life and now he's here right now. I'm the one that removes myself. Hence, I separated myself, but he's standing there with open arms waiting for you to come back to him. So he redeems your life. He purchases you. He buys you back. The other word for redeem is the next of kin. He makes you the next of kin. So we're co-heirs with Christ. In a sense, we're brothers and sisters. We're sons and daughters too. Well, he was a son, so we're, we're co-heirs. So he made me the next of kin. And you, and you, and you, and you. Hence, he redeemed you and he bought you, and now you're in the family. See, did you, all these words is such incredible understanding. And now I can't live my life the same. And then I love this. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Let's think about that for a moment. So he makes loving kindness and tender mercies. And I know a little bit about tender mercies. One, it's undeserved kindness. I didn't deserve it. I'm never worthy enough. And David said in Psalm 51:1, have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And I looked up the word multitude, and it means gargantuous and never-ending. It means the most amount that you can't even contain. That's how merciful God is for me. And it's tender. So he's tender and he's merciful and there's no end to them. So what does he do? He takes that tender mercy and it takes his loving kindness and he weaves it into a crown. And instead of a crown of thorns, he places a new thinking cap on you. So it's time to put on your thinking cap. And your thinking cap must always be founded in loving kindness and mercy because every day you're gonna have an opportunity to be offended, you're gonna have an opportunity to be mad at your spouse, you're gonna have an opportunity to be mad at your children. You're, somebody's gonna do something against you in some way. You're gonna have people that are idiotic and do dumb things, but because you're surrounded constantly with loving kindness and and tender mercies, then the way you treat people is the way God treats you, and it's the foundation. It doesn't mean you don't show tough love. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences. But it does mean that everything you do is coming from this place because it's crowned on your head. This is how I think. It's a thinking cap. Verse 5, he satisfies you. These are the benefits of the Lord. Look, I can probably... I could probably say that most percentage of people in church or that are Christians are going to bed dissatisfied. Not all, but a lot. You know why? Because I know what it's like to be stressed, struggling, and have so much responsibility. People say to me, I don't know how you do it. And I'm going to tell you how I do it. If I have to neglect other things to go get with the Lord and to have a full cup, that's what I have to do. Because he's got to be my strength or nothing else matters. Nothing else is going to matter if you have an empty cup. How, how can I be great for my kids? You want to be great for your kids? Be full of Christ and love them the way he loves you because he has to be the center of your life. You'll only be able to have a healthy marriage and raise your kids the right way when you have Christ front and centered in your life and you're doing it his way, not your way. So he satisfies me. I was so I'm so satisfied with this church right now. It's a mess. There's we've got a lot of gaps. But I'm looking at all of you, and I'm looking at my kids, and I'm here in the band. I'm closing my eyes. All the band members are my friends. They're spiritual sons and daughters. Some are fathers to me. And I'm looking at all of you, and I'm thinking, man, this is incredible. And instead of me thinking, man, I wish, I wish we could get all those gaps fixed. I wish this church wasn't so messy. I wish that everything would get better and people would love more. I wish that you guys would get in a better relationship. I wish more people would come. Why wasn't all these people here? Why was the offering so low? Can you imagine Pastors live this way, though. And then with our kids, I didn't spend enough time with my kids today. I didn't do enough. I'm not doing enough constantly, and we're under this oppression, and we go to bed dissatisfied. But see, my satisfaction doesn't come in the things of this world. My satisfaction comes in the Lord. He's the one that satisfies me first. You got to get the main thing the main thing. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So he satisfies what? Your mouth. The mouth is a picture of your labor. The mouth is a picture because again, where your heart is, where the where your where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be, and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So hence, my mouth speaks satisfaction because my heart is full. (sighs) Come on, there's an epiphany happening right now. There's a shifting taken taking place i know it's not all perfect some of you are such perfectionists you're striving for for perfection and if that's what god wanted he'd get you saved and then kill you and take you home you'd make it right to heaven and you're done congratulations you made it to the promised land (laughs) but do you know that god wants heaven on earth and, so, and God knew it would be a process. Hence, he gave the Holy Spirit. Hence, he gave his word. And hence, he said, be gracious and kind and loving even when people do things they shouldn't do. And now you start doing the right thing so that you can help pull people out of darkness and destruction. Amen. So he satisfies you with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, the older that I'm getting, I feel like the stronger I'm becoming. And the lie of the devil, for those of you that are over 40 or over 50, is that it's too late and you've missed your prime. And actually, if you understand the scripture, the eagle gets stronger the older it gets. In fact, the eagle renews itself to become stronger in its, in its older years. The eagle has a way of actually becoming the circular cyclical pattern of being renewed. And that's why you've got to be holistic and you've got to have a long-term vision. Yeah. My, my daughter's going to graduate high school when I'm 61, and I'm going to have a newborn at 46. I better run strong and long and hard. I better be healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually. I cannot afford to not be holistic. You can't have any misses anymore. This isn't, man, I'm, fi- I'm physically strong, but I'm spiritually a wreck. You've got to be firing on all cylinders. Okay, It means you eat right, you physically take care of yourself because he gave you a body and he gave you a temple and he wants it to be strong. And if you're going to be in it for the long haul, if you really want to be around when your kids get older and your grandkids and you want to influence them when you're 70, 80, 90, or 100, you better start thinking about that now, even you 20-year-olds. It's what it means to be holistic. And I'm telling you what's happening to me is I... like the desires to do something stupid and sin and pornography and other girls and all that other stuff, none of that's there because I'm satisfied in him. And I understand that it's only by his grace, so I'm constantly walking in a, in a tender dependence upon him because I failed so many times before. And so because I failed so much, I finally come to say, I don't want to do that anymore. And for my wife and for my children and for you and for the purpose and the sake of the call, I need to run long and run well and get my eyes on the prize. Amen. Now is the time. I challenge you guys to take it to the next level. Life is too short. And this whole psalm reminds you of that. This psalm is a roadmap for life. I don't, I'm not, probably not even going to get to the end of it. I'm not going to. But you go and you read this psalm because it reminds you that all men are like grass and their glory is like the flower of the field. And it rises up, the wind blows, the sun beats down, never to be remembered again. All men are like dust in the wind. And I'm going to tell you what, I am going to leave them. If I'm a dust in the wind, you better believe I'm gonna, the wind is going to blow and I'm going to be really dusty and I'm going to leave a big giant legacy before I go. Yeah! So he satisfies and he renews you to be youthful. Verse 6, the Lord's the one that executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't use people to execute righteousness and justice on earth. But it means you do it as you're led by him. Hence police officers, hence our government. And I just say, oh, not all governments corrupt I have government leaders here right now and city workers in this church right now that are full of the Holy Ghost. So get past your apathy and start praying for them. You're all, you're all in a twist and a knot about the president race and God's just laughing about it all because you got no peace. Great peace have those that love the Lord. You're, oh my gosh, Trump and Hillary. What's this world? This country, I can't stand this country. And you're apathetic and you're negative and you're being robbed of the promises of God because you're listening to the wrong news feed. You better listen to the news feed from heaven. Because he's like, I'm on the throne, and I got a foundation, and I got sons like you make a difference no matter what happens. So he executes. I love Romans 12, 9. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Give way to vengeance, says mine. He says, is he vengeful? You bet. You bet he is. And he says, I'll repay. Pedophiles will, will get repaid. People that do horrible injustices, I'm telling you right now, God is going to have vengeance upon those that do wickedness. And that's why he's saying he doesn't want you to be afraid of him as a terrorist, but I'm telling you right now that those that don't know the Lord will see God as a terrorist. He's not a terrorist, but he brings terror to the enemy. And the enemy really is not people. The enemy is demonic forces and spiritual wickedness, so get your eye off people and know that pedophiles and anybody else doing corruption, human trafficking, all the drug dealers, all of them are being played like puppets by the devil. And you're so mad at people and you want to fight and be angry at people. Pedophiles should be locked up and thrown in prison, but we shouldn't have have a hatred for the person. We have a hatred for the sin. Lock them up. They will, they will receive, I received a, a, a justice for my own injustice, selling drugs to, to kids, to teenagers and all the injustices I did. Finally, my life came to an end when the trap sprung and I got busted for LSD and thrown into prison for a year. That was the justice I needed for him to make a crooked guy like me that was destroying lives. I could have been that pedophile. I did things that I don't ever want to say that I did. But God took me. He, he brought justice to my life through the system and changed me. And now I'm up here preaching and transforming lives because of what he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo, I'm so fired up today. We're going to preach for two hours today. Yeah. I am not stopping. Woo! We are on the J train this morning, and that's not the Doobie Brothers train. So the Lord executes. The Lord does. But you have to give way. You got to give way for it, which means you understand he's the one, and you do what he tells you to do his way, whatever that looks like. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in this whole psalm, and if there was one scripture in the entire psalm, I really, this is one of two that I'd really want to focus on, and I'm not going to finish the whole song, but I'm going to wrap it up with a couple of very important scriptures that I, you must know and understand, okay? And it's verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses as, and his acts to the children of Israel. I don't want to just know his acts, I want to know his ways, his acts would be like his hand. So when we're praying, God, please bring financial breakthrough. God, please provide this. Lord, please, I'm praying for this particular thing to manifest or happen. That's an act of the Lord. And I see his acts everywhere. He makes his acts known to everybody. So the, the children of Israel, in a sense, are the larger congregation. He's revealing my, I am an act to you. My testimony is an act. The stars in the sky. The trees, the sea, the birds, all of his creation are an act. But what I really want to know is his ways more than his act. And he makes his ways known to his people. Moses was his chosen spokesman. Moses was a type and shadow for us. And so God wants to reveal himself intimately to you so that you're not in the I don't know, but you're in confidence. And if you are at a place where you're questioning, you don't have an answer, you seek it out. Knowing that the Lord wants to show you, yes, no, right, wrong, go this way, go that way. What God really wants more than anything is that you know his ways. Because when you know his ways, you'll start thinking like David's thinking in this psalm. Because I think to myself, how does David, how did King David, how did the Bible writers get this stuff? I mean, there's some vernacular and verbiage in there that in my best day, I could never say. And it all comes from the Lord. See, the people that wrote the Bible were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. So even though God used people and it was, yes, it was written by men, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen the heart of God. He uses humanity, broken humanity, imperfect people to reveal who He is. And we've got to know His ways, we've got to know His heart. You've got to move to a place of desperate understanding that jesus is lord and you want him to be the lord not just your savior it's not about just getting to heaven guys it's about bringing heaven to earth it's about demonstrating his love and kindness to everyone around us and revealing not just his acts. so i love it when he heals people i love his acts supernatural signs and wonders casting out demons praying in the spirit manifestations they're all his acts i love all that but if you don't know his ways you're going to miss the ultimate point. You can't get sidetracked. You got to know him. He wants you to know him. And he'll make his ways known to you. Such as verse 8, he's merciful and gracious. He slow these are ways of the Lord. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. This is his nature. He's not going to strive with you. Strive the word strive means to wrestle. He's not wrestling and wrangling anymore. He's done it. It's finished on the cross. He's not going to keep his anger forever. David wrote this long before Jesus. Hence, you think God's angry with you? I can show you multiple places in the Bible where it says he's not. Is he angry at sin? You bet. He doesn't like certain things that we do, but he loves you. Verse 10, I say this all the time. He has not dealt with you according to your sins, nor punished you according to your iniquities. This is a powerful scripture you should always remember. You were never good enough. You never deserved it. You were never worthy enough to begin with. You didn't even start being worthy. So what happened? You made some mistakes, and now you fell into a shame-pity party, a victim mentality, when you never, ever deserved it to begin with. Snap out of it. When you understand you never deserved it to begin with, and His love and His kindness, He's chasing you. He pursued, pursued you. We love because He first loved, not because you were good enough and you were Mr. Lover. And God's like, ah, oh, you're Mr. Lover, I'm come get you. No, I was a sinner that was a miserable wretch that was full of all kinds of jacked up stuff, and God came to the rescue. So now when I make a mistake, I realize, why would I go back to the, this I disappointed God thing? And then why would you live? you disappointed me, son. Why would you treat Christians? I'm really disappointed in you. I may not like what you did, and you really act like an idiot. Now snap out of it, because God loves you, and start living right, and you better forgive, because I forgive you. Don't do it again. Jesus, when he forgave the prostitute, he said, go and what? Sin no more. Pow! We got Miami Vice here today. My wife said, I look like I'm I'm Miami Vice today. I said, I am Miami Vice. I don't know why. I just loved that show in the 80s. I came from Miami. I mean, that was my show. So he doesn't deal with you. You didn't deserve it. You weren't worthy enough. In verse 11, as high as the heavens above the earth are, this is how great His mercy is towards those who fear Him. Now, here I can't finish this message without telling you: One, His mercy is as high from the heavens. Go back to verse. Tw- go up to verse twelve. As far as the east is from the west, He removes your transgressions. How far is the east is from the west? It's never ending. It's to the vanishing point. It's to infinity and beyond. I'm telling you, it's from everlasting to everlasting. That's how far, as far from the east as the west. But go back to 11, here's the onus, here's the patient responsibility to those who fear him. Fear isn't God is going to wipe me out, but it's a knowing that he can. Fear is I'm in so reverence, I so revere him, and I'm so in awe by what he's done. I can't, I'm just blown away that it causes me to be morally reverent. Fear, the word for fear is morally reverent. It means that I now stop doing what I once did, and when I commit to the covenant contract that I have with him, when I give my life to him, and I start doing what he's called me to do, and I start making the decisions and the desires with his help to live differently, suddenly everything changes. Everything changes. I begin to walk in his mercy and his forgiveness and i understand that he's always there for me. This would be the one other scripture that i really really wanted to point out. Verse 13 is the father pities his children, so the lord pities those who fear him. Listen, god's not mr. T. He doesn't pity the fool. You, now, if you're over if you were born in the 80s and beyond, you don't even know what i just said. Okay. The word pity doesn't mean like I pity you. That's not what that means. The word pity means to have great love and compassion. The word pity is to comfort and adorn and array and to 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 bring a, a, a feeling of confidence into your life that only the Lord can do, and that's what the Lord has for us. He has that for us. Goes on to say that His mercies from everlasting. Verse seventeen. I'm just jump down. From everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. What's everlasting to everlasting? It means to the vanishing point. It's infinity. It never stops. It's always moving. Everybody say perpetual movement. That's him. He propels you and perpetually moves you in the right direction because of his grace. He's always moving you forward. And in life, you're either moving forward, standing still, or moving backwards. And some of you are standing still and moving backwards. And he's saying, come on, get up. You're my son. You're my daughter. This is how much I love you. It's time to move you forward, not backward. This is your time. And I love this, verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments. Leave that on the screen as I close with this. And we'll release, the, we'll release you here in just a moment. We're going to pray first. But just I want you to look at this on the screen. We have an, op- an obligation to keep covenant. Covenant is a contractual agreement that we enter into. And covenant is is, is as much or more realizing what he has agreed to than what you've agreed to. Because what he agreed to and what he did is way more than what we could ever do. So when I think keeping covenant, I'm thinking about him and how good he is and what he's done. But I'm also recognizing, realizing I have an obligation. And when I give my life to Jesus, I have an obligation to represent and reflect him right. And to, be, to, to do the things he's called me to do. And I can't do it without his help. No religion, this isn't a religious thing. This is the Holy Spirit that helps you and enables you. This is the leading and guiding of the Lord. But you understand that you have a responsibility. There's still, even though the debt's paid, even though your balance owed is zero on your EOB, and you have all these benefits, he still expects us to give our life to him and make him Lord. See, this is really lordship. Everybody say lordship. Lordship. Lordship's not just I'm going to get a ticket to heaven, but lordship is I want him to lead and guide me. I want him to be my master, my best friend, my comforter, my god. See, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've made all things known to you. So you become a friend of God. And when you become a friend of God, you understand that I'm in covenantal relationship. You know, my wife and I are in covenant. And I honor my wife because I made a commitment to her and because I love her, not because of a piece of paper. Even though a piece of paper we signed and um, our pastor at the time signed it, and we have this covenantal contract. But more than that, I made a commitment of love and I love her and I'm committed to her. Even when she doesn't treat me right. Even when I don't treat her right. Even when we're we're having, you know, blowout disagreements. And it happens. Put two people together. You know, the older you get, hopefully the easier it gets. But, but we've been married four and a half years. We're growing. We're learning. I married a mighty warrior. I married a woman that is a chief in so many ways. And I needed a chief. I didn't need some submissive little passive puppy wife. I needed a strong confidence. Sometimes... To the point where we're butting our heads a lot, but you know what? God uses that to refine me. I'm in—I have an obligation to keep covenant with her. If I go and have an adulterous affair, then I could lose what God has given me and all the beautiful, great things I have. I'm in relationship, so I have a responsibility to keep that covenant. And I remember what I have agreed to do, and I remember what God has called me to do, and I'm in constant remembrance. So I'm not just mislaying who he is and forgetting, but I'm reminding. This is a word for you today, to remember and be reminded and to never forget. And this morning, there's some of you here that have never known. You've never known how good God is. There's some of you here this morning that are hearing what I'm saying. You're like, man, I've never heard this preaching before. Some of you have heard it before because you've been coming here. You've gone to some churches like this, but this isn't sloppy grace. You have a responsibility. Snap out of the dysfunction. Stop living in a pity party. Remember, he renews your youth. He forgives you. He heals you. Don't forget his benefits. Stop mislaying them. You're taking the promises of God. You could do this today. You could take what I've told you and set it to the side and go, oh, that was great. And then you'll mislay and you'll forget And you'll become oblivious. I don't want to be oblivious. I don't want to live agnostic Christianity. You can be a Christian and still live in an agnostic way. Oh, I know God's there, but he's not really intervening in my life. I just want to be a good Christian and live a nice little quiet life. That's nowhere in the Bible. He's called us to reproduce and advance in a world of darkness. And he's called us to become something so that we can pass that on to the generations. Some of you have been living in sin. Some of you have been sleeping around. Some of you have been been doing drugs or pornography on the side. I already know that happens when you get hundreds and hundreds of people together. And so what I'm telling you to do is repent. Tell the Lord you're sorry. Take hold of that forgiveness. He forgives all your iniquities. Yes, you were at fault. Yes, you did wrong. But take a hold of his forgiveness and let him wash you and comfort you. Let his, let, as a father pities a child or as a father loves and has compassion to the point of, come here, when my son ran up here, I swooped him up and he knew he was safe in my arms. And does my, does my son at 20 months have an innate thing inside of him that is carnal nature that came from the curse of the garden? You bet. We're playing with dolls and my, there's something about a girl and something about a boy. My, my daughter's nurturing to her dolls and playing with them. And here comes Zion, like a terror. And he comes right up. He sees what we're doing. He walks over to the little Barbie doll and rips her leg off. Now, I never taught my son to be destructive like that. You don't think that there's a curse from the garden? He's going to need to give his life to Jesus at some point. Especially if he's ripping girls at 20 months or for good 22 months now. And so the point is, is that I forgive him and I love him and I, I discipline him. Any good dad disciplines a child. The father disciplines you. He has a unique way of doing that. But some of you need to give your life to Jesus today. You've been running and running and running. He's been calling and calling and calling. And then some of you have walked away from him. You've forgotten And if you really believed what I've taught and what we've sang and who he is, guess what? You'd live differently. Some of you are in dark depression. You've lost a loved one. A child's done something really dumb. A friend that you trusted hurt stabbed you in the back. And here comes the Lord. Doing what he does best. When we need him the most. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!